This is my lover, the King of France. Oh yeah? Well, I'm the Lord of Time. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Jace. And, and today, today we're going to be <laughs> jumping into the story known only as The Girl in the Fireplace, which was written by Stephen Moffat. Of course, he was the showrunner for the 11th and 12th Doctors. The oh. Mothman. Well, you know, speaking of that, I'll go ahead and jump right in on a comparison here because I feel like this episode was a great precursor to the Doctor and Amy's whole relationship. Because it was written by the same guy, and basically both of them start with the doctor visits them as a child. She gets, you know... Spoilers, by the way. We've already done that season. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, okay, spoilers. In general. Um, Sorry, and uh, so he meets her as, as a child. She has a meaningful connection with him. And then he vanishes, comes back when she's an adult, has another meaningful connection with him, and then he vanishes and comes back a few years later. And it really, you know, messes up her whole perception of people and the way that she interacts with the world as a result of And her lover. And her lover. It, like, so those are all just some very deep parallels here. Yeah, because when somebody, when an old man starts stalking you when you're a child and popping up in your bedroom at night. And then being a romantic competitor to the other main relationship in your life. Things are going to be weird. I will say this, though, is that Renette handles it a hell of a lot better than Amy does. Yeah, I was going to say, if you compare the way she handled it and Amy, Amy was almost just, like, really mad about it. A terrible character? Yeah. Well, but then also, if you look at the culture that Renette was in, I mean, she was the well-established mistress to the king, got along great with the queen. This was, like, a real job. She had her own place in the castle, her own, you know, title and everything. So, like, this was normal. Like, they were able to separate, you know, the relationships in that way and be totally okay with it. So, Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, she was a boss actress. I think, um, you know, Renette had the best acting of this episode. Agreed. I think David Tennant worked quite well in this episode, too, though. He did. You know, he was hyper, as he always is, but he was very, you know, um, serious in in the moments that called for it. Yeah, and intimate as well. Yeah, it was a good range for him. Yeah, luckily the music was so amazing in this episode, it really, like, captured the mood. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the drunk David Tennant coming, you know, after the party, you know? You should always bring a banana to a party. That's what Honestly, I learned. that was, like, an amazing scene. How often, A, does the doctor get drunk, and B, does he just randomly put that as a part of his plan? Like, you know what my plan is? I'm going to pretend like I'm drunk, casually walk in on the clockwork droids, just about to, like, decapitate my companions, and then it just he just talks about bananas and ends up just like dismantling all of them. Like that's kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty he awesome. Can get away with that. 
That does bring some magic of the Doctor. I thought the whole concept was really cool, too, of the, like, droids deciding they needed to repair the ship and started to use pieces of the crew. I mean, how creepy is that? That's dark. Oh, absolutely dark. Especially when you got an eyeball looking at you, and it's a real eyeball. Yeah. It almost reminds me of the movie, um... House of Bones, where it's literally an entire house just, like, swallowing human beings and have kind of building the structure of the house. I don't know which came first, but it's a really awesome idea and concept. It is. And, you know, actually, another example of Stephen Moffat, you know, reusing his ideas in different ways. And, again, spoiler, partial spoiler alert, there is, in the future, in a future episode, like, the sister ship of this one ends up coming and doing something similar, but not quite the same. Yeah. Mysterious. So, yeah, um, what I really appreciated about this episode was the lack of gaping plot holes, (laughs) which I I feel like, you know, Doctor Who just has a ripe potential, you know, to have, you know, when you have a lot of different elements, you go back in time, um, and you try and bring in a lot of characters at once. There's always a lot of things that are kind of left um, up in the out of the open, you know, unresolved, and some things that conflict. But um, I didn't get the sense from this. I, I thought this was a cohesive story. I have a question. How do you guys feel like the companions contributed to this episode? Do you think it was, like, great, the amount of, or the least, or... How do I describe this? Do you think hmm. the companions' roles in this episode was okay? Would you like yeah, to see more? See. Or less of them, or was it, like, good? I, I was actually talking about this with Shelby and Colin right after the episode, but I feel like, like, in the more most recent season, one of the big issues is that they felt like they had to give every single companion and the Doctor all a plot in every single episode, so it kind of didn't leave enough time to, like, get the main plot through, and this episode just really focused on the main plot, didn't really, like go into side plots they just like they had them there doing stuff but they weren't important to the story so it was kind of like well who cares like they'll be more in it next episode we don't have to give everyone like a great plot in every single episode I think one thing that they did hold back on was Rose's reaction to the Doctor and Renette because the Ro- it's quite obvious that Rose has an extreme attachment to the Doctor at this point what? and, and for and for them to kind of uh for them not to have addressed that, I, I can kind of see why they didn't, because it would have taken away from, I think, the story of Renette and the Doctor. They kind of did go into it, though, when Mickey was talking about, like, meeting Cleopatra and, what was it, Sarah right. Jane or something, that was kind of their way of kind of throwing that in there. Yeah, they did throw it in, I just think, I, I don't think they resolved it, but I think, I, I think that it would have made it less perfect if they tried to make Rose become the the same as she was in School Reunion with Sarah Jane, where she was all jealous. I think in yeah. this case, she kind of knew that that uh, Renette was part of history. I don't think she really thought as heavily that the Doctor and Renette would actually have as close of a relationship. That's a yeah. big point. But she wasn't there for it either. I also wonder if it was a bit of a growing moment from Rose, just from that last encounter with Sarah Jane Smith. I, I think, you know, they got to be friends, and she got to see another side and understanding of the Doctor. And I was hoping this was, you know, a sign of, um, you know, maturity and growth and how the doctor, you know, is with other people, well, you know. And she has to, basically Sarah Jane told her, like, he's just going to leave you one day and, like, 
that's just how it's going to be, so you better get used to that. Yeah, she, she has, like, had a, a changing in expectations to some degree. Well, she even asked Renette, are you okay, when she had to tell Renette that she had to wait another five years. And I think Rose was kind of understanding what Renette was going through because she saw her having to go all these years without seeing the doctor. Exactly. Rose already knows how important he is to and then, her personally. And then Rose had to wait a whole five and a half hours before she could see the doctor. Yeah, but she also thought that she would never see him again, so she had a legitimate reason to be scared and sad. Um, yeah, also, right. that was something that I was like, okay, so the doctor's going to go save this girl that he's known for, like, the equivalent of half an hour, and then leave his companions on the ship with, like, no food and, like, no way off and 5,000 years in the future... Like, but they what? had a Sunday roast on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, you know, it, it's the, the TARDIS first return protocol. If they went into it when he wasn't yeah. there, it would trigger and then take them home and shut itself down. Um, okay, well, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that when you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, but I did think it was weird, like, why would the doctor go back through the fireplace, you know, at, at the end there? Because already, you know, he's like, well, this fireplace may be a little unreliable now. Yeah. It's kind of like he was doing it again when he had a TARDIS right in back of him to go <laughs> and grab her when it seemed like that was the point anyway, to show her the stars. Not to, like, uh... Yeah, it, I didn't It's get possible it. that he thought that he would have enough time to get back to her. Um, yeah, because keep in mind, when he first went through it, she was seven, and then when he went through seconds later, she was, like, a grown adult. It makes sense that once he went back again, just, like, the reliability of the old fireplace... Well, yeah, but, but, but why would he? Like, yeah, knowing would, that it's re- unreliable, like, why would he leave her just to run in there, you know, for two minutes? Just be like, Renette, come with me right now. He was probably just really engulfed in the moment, like, really or hopeful, like, not really thinking logically. Again, take the TARDIS back to that exact moment, and then, yeah, it, it's, like, it's, I never understood. It's, it's always the, the biggest, you know, plot hole, if there is one, you know, not using the TARDIS to its full potential. You don't go back through the gate at that point. You take your TARDIS and, and pull up right at that second. Well, okay, but he can't show off the TARDIS to all of France because that would get a little... No, no, no. Well, like, we could show second... it to, like, her in her bedroom, you know, right as he leaves in the fireplace to go and pick her up. But that's also kind of, like, a huge, like, problem in terms of Doctor Who because there has been so many episodes yeah. in which he could have done these things and there wouldn't be episodes, you know? So they kind of have to hope people don't catch on to that and, like, <laughs> let it be. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> No, I get it. But there's plenty of episodes where they, you know, they find a way around it. Um, you know. Well, now or I think because it's established time and history that she passes away at 43, I don't think he can go back and change that. But no, he no. said he was going to. Or he could go back to, like, ten minutes after he left her the first time and then show her the stars and then drop her off and leave her forever. He could return and I mean, her. really, she was going to die a lot sooner than that if he hadn't uh, stumbled in on his white horse gallantly through a mirror. Hi, what did you all think about the clockwork birds? Cool, love them. Oh, super creepy and awesome. They're fine. Yeah, I don't. I never liked the powdered wig eras, you know, for whatever reason. Everyone's too a little prone, proper. I don't know, but it was done. Oh, it was done well without being too pompous for a pompadour episode. 
Uh, question about the clockwork droids. So I know that they came back to my knowledge in like a Peter Capaldi episode and probably other episodes. That's what I was talking about. Why did they change form like that? Why did they choose to just be giant masquerade dolls and then just random? They're they're, they're actually different ones. Um, Other different kinds? Well, no, it's like there was a pair of ships, of spaceships. One was the Madame de Pompadour, one was some other famous woman in history, and they, like, relaunched at the same time. I forget, the episode wasn't about her, so... <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, like, the secondary ship, like, is the one that happened in the Peter Capaldi episode. Was it the Mary Celeste? Oh, yeah, Mary Cel- Maybe, I don't know. It, it may have been. It may have so been. they're not, like, a race. They're exactly. Not, not exactly, but they all kind of came to similar conclusions, so... Kinda. It's a good, good question, though. Yeah, so I guess they really just tried to disguise themselves as agents of the time, when really they they looked just like creepy murderers <laughs> from nightmares under the bed. Yeah, exactly. Um, if I could have my bathroom decorated just by their aesthetic, I would one hundred and ten percent do it. Oh, I, I don't that. doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the clockwork part of it too. Because oh, that like, was so neat. designed them made them look pretty darn. Uh, I, I, they were really nice looking, um, and it looked like it was kind of a rather uh, a lot to put together. Yeah, yeah, and it was kind of a cool concept of you know they come into the room and they immediately break the clocks so that you don't notice the sound of two clocks ticking. Even though a broken clock shouldn't make any noise at all. But no one's going to notice the broken clock. Right. They're going to hear the ticking and assume the clock's working. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love. I think, for me, in this particular episode, the Doctor really shines a lot. He, be- he does a heroic deed that I don't think the Doctor typically does in any other story. He- this is probably the Doctor at his most heroic, his most romantic in many ways, his most intimate with Renette, and um, just his most fun. I mean, like we said earlier about him coming in all drunk, but, I mean, just the whole entire episode, this was, like, his chance to shine. He even had a horse. He was so happy to have that horse. Although what it was doing on board the spaceship, who knows? Oh, yeah, that was never explained, was it? No. Well, no, he said this must be where you came from, like a big open field. Yeah, well, like he says to Mickey, what's what's uh, France doing on a spaceship? <laughs> right, it's a priority straight. Exactly. Yeah, you know, there's there's levels of things that you just need to accept when the doctor's around, and I feel like a horse on a spaceship is small potatoes. <laughs> it it kind of leaked in from one of the the times that the clockwork droids must have gone through or something. Who knows? Uh, but at any rate. Any rate, should we rate? Sure. There we go. All I right. I think it's a good time to start. Well, I'll jump into this. This was a, a fun episode. You know, it was a, a, it could be, you know, a bit confusing at times, but, you know, by the end, everything wrapped up in, in a really good, cohesive way. Um, like I said before, I love that it was very short on the plot holes. I think everything really was connected. Most of my questions were, you know, answered in a way that I felt, you know, satisfied about. Um, don't really love this period of time, you know, 18th century France, you know, usually isn't my shtick, but 
Um, I, I love Renette. I thought she was a great character. She's played by a fantastic actress, at, at least in this portrayal. And um, the relationship between her and the doctor I thought was really meaningful. You know, she got to see him in a way that pretty much no one on the show ever gets to see the doctor. Um, when the doctor had a mind meld with her and, you know, like a, a door that you could uh, peer into, you should be able to peer into the other side. And she did that with him, which uh, what, I, what I thought just made her just a more incredible character um, overall. Um, but this was a good story. This was fun. Um, I, I don't know if it ranks into my favorite episodes of all time. I don't think I can go there, but I like a lot of different aspects of this, you know, despite some campy music as well. Um <laughs> For me, this is going to get an 8 out of 10. Cool. Kelsey, do you want to go next? Sure, I can go next. Um, I agree with a lot of what Colin said. I felt like this episode, they kind of kept it simple. Like, they focused on one main plot, and they just got the job, job done on that plot, and they developed the relationship between the characters um, I, I mean, I always love the historical pieces, like, ancient alien style with the doctor going back in time and changing things, so that's always a plus for me. Um, I felt like the acting was pretty good, and the villains were, I mean, they were interesting, they weren't, but they, like, you didn't really need too much of an explanation. They kind of just had, like, a paragraph, and then you knew it was going on, and then they could, we could, like, all move on, and there weren't any, like, big, like Colin was saying, big plot holes, or just, like, I don't understand this about the race. It was just kind of a simple, like, these are repair robots, and they find anything they can possibly find to repair it, and that's it. Um, I did think it was weird that somebody in, like, what was it, 3500 would name their ship after some random mistress to a king from the 1700s. <laughs> But other than that, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to give this one an 8. All right. I'll go next. Um, I think this episode's great. Of course, I'm a bit of a sucker for all Stephen Moffat episodes. I think he's phenomenal, and I love all the stuff he does. Um, and I, I feel like this episode really had like everyone said, a very clear plot. It's gone through nicely. And actually, the simplicity of the concept of the villains actually added to how creepy they were because you could see how someone could, you know, make a dumb mistake and overlook the fact that, you know, like they just would assume that the ship would never get in a situation where you'd have to inform the robots not to use the crew. I mean, that just didn't occur to them to put in. And you could see that happening. And it's kind of a creepy concept. I thought that... All of the characters did a really, you know, great job in there, even though Mickey and Rose were sidelined, you know, we kind of got to see Mickey's first adventure, and it, it, it didn't really need to be focused on. We already knew those characters, so that was great. Um, Renette was awesome. I, I honestly, I really loved this episode a lot, so I'm going to give it a 10. Uh, All right, my turn. Um... I personally absolutely love the episode. I absolutely love the Clockwork Droids, but I might be biased as I do have a doll collection, particularly of clowns, that I absolutely love. I love that they're covered in masks, but that, that's besides the point. As Shelby, well, as, as everyone was saying, I love the simplicity of the plot because it gave us the opportunity to kind of focus more on the character development between the Doctor and Renette. And I love their kind of 
chemistry because unlike other people that um, the doctor encounters on like a regular basis, like the random people that he sees on his adventures, Burnett was the actual one person that actually got to walk through his window and know a lot more about him. So that gave them an even deeper connection because they didn't have to waste time going into like the doctor's backstory and all this nonsense. She was able to see the doctor. They were able, they were able to connect. And I just like the idea that they chose a very well-established, accomplished woman to steal the brain of to make their ship. And I really like the simplicity of the clockwork droids' plans as well, because it added an extra eeriness to the episode, as Shelby said, which I really like. As a horror fan, I love the idea of a ship being composed of body parts and their whole kind of idea just being fine bodies, fine bodies, fine bodies, and that's it. It wasn't super complex, wasn't super complicated. I love the idea of walking dolls. Um, I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. All right. Well, I think the simplicity of this plot is actually, uh, it's a solid plot. I mean, it, it makes sense. But the simplicity of this plot allows us to explore a deeper relationship between the Doctor and one of the new characters that happens to be Renette in this particular case. Um, I do agree that the acting is phenomenal across the board. There's not one person acting in this that's not good. Um, and we do have a little bit of an adventure for Mickey. Uh, that's kind of nice. It, it, it seems like this is where Mickey starts to grow a little bit. He starts to branch off from the the pointless boyfriend who's always complaining to someone who's actually interested in what's going on. Um, uh, with all that said, I'm going to say that um, this the music for me was actually really well done, especially the music at the end uh, for the um, when when uh, of course when Renette's letter is being writ- uh, read out by the doctor. I think that was quite a touching moment. Um, the uh, direction of this episode, everything was just perfect. So I'm going to give this one uh, oh, uh, an extremely large 10 out of 10. Wow. Way well, Michael, there was one point in the episode where the music was like, do, 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 do. <laughs> Is it weird that I didn't notice any music? Oh my gosh, it drove me nuts. It was like out of a Lifetime original movie or something. It was like <laughs> the romance was like over the top. And anytime it showed Rose and Mickey, it was like, like the dopey soundtrack of like dawn, dawn, dawn. Like these idiots are gonna go do something else, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh I think God. the music was actually quite accurate for the sequences that they they put. Okay, in. but it, it was pretty campy in the Rose and Mickey part, though. But keep in mind, in the podcast, I think like the last podcast, I referred to a lot of David Tennant story stories as very like goosebumps, like yeah, yeah. So I feel like the this the was pretty goosebumps that statement. I should also mention uh, to the audience is that this uh, this was the first time that Doctor Who won um, the Hugo Award for Best Sci-Fi uh, Short Form Whoa. Um, Presentation. And um, now actually, no, let me take that back. This is the second time. Stephen Moffat was the one that seemed to get snab all the, uh, the Hugo Awards. I think The Empty Child also got the Hugo Award. But I know that this one definitely did. Um, but uh, it's it kind of goes without saying. This was a very strong episode for a lot of Doctor Who fans. They it was it had an eighty four um, uh, 
rating uh, index over in Britain, which is extremely high, which is an excellent category. Most programs are like in the 70s, so the fact that this was so rated so high showed that the general audience of Great Britain loved it. Um, the appreciation index, that's what I was going for. Um, we don't have that over here in the United States. <laughs> we don't have anything quite like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just, wow, what a story. Well, it sounds like our appreciation index is pretty high for this episode. Thanks, thanks for <laughs> tuning in for everybody. We, we appreciate your time and your ear. And, you know, if you want to listen to more, there's plenty in the archive. Yeah. All right. Well, um, good night, everyone. Also, feel free to follow us on our new Instagram account, The Hoovian Review. Boom. Oh. Cool. <laughs>